You know, Pastor Tark's message, um, the last one he preached with us, was seek his face for your workplace. And um, that, I don't know if it stirred up in you or anything, but we had some good discussions about that, seeking his place for your workplace, you know, shifting the powerful preachers to powerful marketplace ministry. He was basically saying it's no longer just powerful preachers, it's powerful marketplace Christians, you know, wanting the Spirit of God wherever you go. You know, you talk to, about a workplace, well, it's not always your workplace because some people they actually don't go into work. But it's, it's the marketplace, it's the workplace, it's your home. It's really encompassing all those things. Do you need Christ at your work? Do you need Christ in your home? You know, seek his face for those places. You know, he extolled the virtues of peak traffic. Uh, you know, Auckland, it's, it's designed, that peak traffic is designed so that you sit in your car and you spend the time praying. I find I've got to do that up here. I sit in my drive, and I've got to wait for 20 cars to go past. <laughs> anyway, the, this, having the workplace it reminded me of actually two, two men. Uh, both, both had the name Mark. They probably won't hear this message, but uh, they were volunteers in, in West Auckland in my department. And they both had the same name. They're no longer at the church at the moment, but they, when sharing with them and talking with them and having meals with them, they shared two different stories. One would purposely go into work early, and then he would help to fill the orders of his work colleague. And before his work colleague came in, that was his witness to, to reach his office. And then when he, he knew that this guy had a bad back as well, so when he saw the guy trying to lift something, he would get up quickly and help him lift. And he saw that as the way to try and make a difference in his office. The other volunteer wanted his engineering workshop colleagues to know Christ, but was constantly teased by a younger man. Finally, Mark snapped and punched the younger man. Course, his witness was shot at that time. <laughs> now, you can relate to both in a way, but it was just interesting. One, they both had the same goal, and one was showing love and compassion, and the other just got to him, and he finally biffed the guy. Well, he didn't get fired, but he knew that he really needed to move on because there's no point witnessing anymore. Paul and Peter tell us that if we look at that scripture up there, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. And live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. I felt for, the, you know, I felt for Mark, the, the second one, quite a bit. But I knew and understood what that was, and you probably do as well. When the, you're put under pressure at work, you know, how are you going to perform? But how, you know, do we make a difference? When, when Tark says, you know, let's seek his face for our workplace, how do we make a difference out there in the community? Prayer is vitally important. It's probably like, you know, you know pounding somebody. Prayer is like... 
pounding a, you know, an aircraft carrier, sending its shells into the enemy territory. They're safe out in the water, and they fire the shells into, um, blow up the place and soften it up, as they say. But then at some stage, they're going to have to send the troops in, the, the land forces. And that's what, it's a bit like prayer. You pray for your workplace. You pray for your home. But at some stage, you're going to have to have feet in the ground and, and go into those places. So it's good to actually pray them up first. So I thought, let's just start with prayer. I'm going to just pray this morning and as we hand this message over to the Lord. Lord, we thank you that you, you are so, so good. We thank you that you love us and you care about us. You love us to bits. And Lord, we just ask as we commit this time to you that you just speak to our hearts and we receive something from you this morning, we pray in your precious name. Amen. So how do we make a difference wherever we hang out or spend time earning a living? Two ordinary people mentioned in the book of Acts give us a clue. So we look here in the book of Acts, um, chapter 9. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. Now, Tabitha, you know, was a, quite a popular name until it became a character in Beatrix Potter, and it was the tabby cat in Beatrix Potter, and then that had a decline in people actually naming their children that. And I think that's where you get the tabby cat from. She was, but it's what a line it says, she was always doing good and helping the poor. Now that's a wonderful testimony. Something inside Tabitha caused her to be always doing this and helping. In the next chapter of Acts, we see a similar story, this time Cornelius, a centurion in the Italian regiment. It says, he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God Almighty. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Both Tabitha and Cornelius were both Christians going about their business, but also showing compassion and thoughtfulness to others. But the point I want to make is, firstly, these deeds were important to God, but secondly, they were important to others, those they blessed. And thirdly, the Apostle Peter and the writer of the book of Acts. So if we just go back, you know, we just skim through this, we just read through this in the Bible, okay, Dorcas... And we read through the centurion, but that's actually talking about us. You know, it's just simple, normal, everyday people in life, and yet here they are in the Bible going about and doing good. It's a step for us. It's saying, this is you. There are people, probably many people in this room that could be named Tabitha or Cornelius. They're not, they're not insignificant people, and you are not insignificant as well. If we look at the, uh, go on in that verse, we just have a look at uh, 1 Timothy. It says, the sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not obvious 
cannot remain hidden forever. It was a challenge because you think it's good to go and do good deeds that nobody knows about. But God wants us to do good deeds that he gets the glory about. Now, I might have told you the other, the other week I climbed over the fence and I chopped up some of my neighbor's firewood. I used to see him. He's in his 80s and he was struggling to chop probably a blunt axe. But the firewood, you know, he's trying to make kindling. I thought, I know what I'll do. When he goes off to work, I'll just hop over there and cut up a box of kindling, which I did, you know. And uh, out of uh, those uh, cores that come from the factory, and they look good to easy to split, but they're not. They're quite knotty. But anyway, it was quite a, quite a bit of hard work. Ended up sitting on a bucket in his drive doing it, and then put them all in this box for him and left it at the, the garage door so that he could find it when, you know, when he drove in. And so when I looked out, you know, it had gone and the car was in the garage. I knew he must have found them. Well, anyway, two days later, I hear chip, chip, chip. The guy's out there chopping up his kindling again, you know. And I couldn't help myself because it would be been done secretly, but I couldn't help myself. I said, what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm just getting some kindling. I said, didn't you have a box of kindling? Oh, yeah, that's right. It's in the garage. <laughs> Goes in, gets the box. He'd forgotten about it. I don't know whether it was Alzheimer's or what. <laughs> Put it in the garage and forgotten about it out there. <laughs> so my secret was out. <laughs> but anyway, let's come back to Tabitha. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was jogged was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent men to him and urged him to come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the workers stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Tabitha had made while she was still with them. You know, it would have been quite a scene, wouldn't it, really? You're going to the wake, you're coming into the wake, and there's these women not only crying, but they're showing what it's their precious garments to him. Look at this, look at this, look what this woman has done. And I just wondered, you know, about funerals. We go to funerals, we all go to funerals, don't we? And, you know, the testimony of some people, it's just wonderful. It's like those garments. Look what they've done, look what they've done. Unfortunately, some of our funerals, people just talk about themselves, even though they should be talking about the person who's died. But, you know, it's just honoring when people can say that and show that. They were proud of what Tabitha had done. She was an ordinary woman, yes, but no, you too, an ordinary man, woman, young person, yes, but no. Your life counts. What you do counts. Your value is beyond measure. And your help bank, which is God, is limitless. Your help, the one who will help you achieve your good deeds, is limitless. Jesus said, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So in other words, all our good deeds, or most of them you might say, other people need to see. And of course, it's not a secret that she made, um, you know, Tabitha made garments for people because she made the garments for people. They had the testimony there. And it brings glory to God. You know, Tabitha was dead and so had no idea of the commotion 
and that her life was impacting Peter. As we go on, Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for, her, for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them. Now, it's obvious now that Tabitha's, Tabitha's life counted a lot, and so does yours. Her kindness obviously touched the widows. It touched those who ran to get Peter. You know, they would have had to go on at least 15 miles to get him. Um, Lida, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it's now a Lod, L-O-D, and it's out near the airport at Tel Aviv, and, and Joppa is at the coast. So they would have had to go quite a way past the airport. They would have had to go past the airport. No, it probably wasn't there. Anyway, and then back again with Peter. It would have taken a bit. So, you know, they would have had to be impressed with Tabitha as well. But God stepped in and said, I need more Tabithas. In fact, I need her back in the game. And guess what? He thinks the same about you. I want to keep bringing it back to you. I want to always keep bringing it. Tabitha did this, but that's you. Cornelius did that, but that's us. That's me. A verse we normally hear at funerals to bring comfort to the deceased families is this one from Matthew. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. I like being able to say that at a funeral. I like being able to say when we look back on that person's life, they've been good and faithful. Now come and enter the rest. But we should be able to say that to ourselves or to each other now, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in small things because God wants to put us in charge of big things. And if we're faithful in small things, let's say jumping over the fence to chop firewood or baking and taking in something or, you know, the little things, God will place it in our hearts to do bigger things. Faithfulness in these little things is important. It's noted in heaven, but it's also the step to greater things. You know, I only use these two guys at the moment, Tabitha and uh, Cornelius, to show you, if you just look at the lines, that when the angels came down, they said, we know about you. This has been recorded. What you've done is recorded in heaven. Faithful in the little things, like putting signs out outside the church in the morning, putting the chairs out, hiding away in the creche while everybody's hearing the message, baking on Saturday or early Sunday morning, slipping out to the kitchen uh, when other people are receiving prayer to heat up the food, um, up very early in the morning and making yourself look sharp, but you've still got to set up the music gear and present yourself in front of the congregation. You know, taking the rest of the church into the Holy of Holies, mixing sound, concentrating on the PowerPoint screen so everyone else can freely worship, standing at the door, putting your hand out to strangers, greeting somebody with a holy kiss, taking communion, you know, saying these sort of things are, are, are great and faithful people are doing this week after week, looking after babies, teaching kids and young people, teaching God's word. You know, 
I, we need as a church to be doing these things. I won't ask for a show of hands to put up your hand if any of those categories covered you, but those that if you're not involved, you're not in part of the, the ministry here, get involved. You need to be. If you say, this is your church, this is where you like to be, say, where can I help? I asked um, Kim for the Sunday school roster because the one's run out. So she's had it on her table for a while, but she said, I haven't given it to you because there's so many blanks on it. You know, they need help. They need, and you could say, well, look, I, I can do two weeks out of four. That would be really great. Kids ministry, um, creche, can I do two weeks out of four? Of course, you've got to go through the proper vetting process. You've got to look at that as well because we want to make sure that, you know, we've got the the right people in the right place, okay? But there's a process there. But please, after the service, if you want to be helping in these areas and just be faithful, we would really, really appreciate it. You know, I, 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 when I wrote down here, dad talk, I don't know if any of you know what a dad talk is. It's, it's something where mum quickly leaves the room, <laughs> Mum's been complaining to dad about the kids and how much they've been doing and how much they haven't been doing. And it's finally got enough on mum. And so dad says, right, kids, because he's getting it in the ear, you're not pulling your weight, you know. Mum's having to cook the meal. She's having to do the dishes. She's having to clear up after you. You know, all, you're not putting your washing out. You know the story. You know what, anybody know what I'm talking about? Has anybody had one? In the, whether it's their childhood, anybody given one of those talks, it's time to pull your weight. And I think as us as a church, I really feel it's important that we say it's time to pull your weight. You know, as we grow, we've been going three and a bit years. We knew, all right, it's not all done for us, but you really appreciate those that are doing things, but I, we need help. So please see where you can help. You know, as Christians, we... We serve out of love. Jesus is very clear when asked the greatest commandment. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, love God, love your fellow man, love those you see and you work with and live with enjoy time with, sit beside. You know, our job is just to love people, and it comes from within. Everything we have is in us. So where do we get this compassion from, really? Paul says in 2 Corinthians here, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So it's there. It's not something that we can say, oh, I'm not like that. I'm not like that. You may not have been like that, but the God who is like that actually lives in you. Praise the Lord, O my soul, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with what? Love and compassion. It's in you. You wear it with pride. You know, a crown of compassion. Where do you wear a crown? On your head. It's a pride of place. Your love and compassion is a pride of place in your normal work. And I don't mean a bad, prideful thing, but your love and compassion should go before you. There's a loving, compassionate person. How can you tell? Well, I can tell by the crown. 
That person's love and compassion. They, how do we know that Tabitha had love and compassion? We could tell by her crown. What was her crown? Her good deeds. Those garments. You know, Paul said to the Philippians, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. You know, before I became a pastor, and I, I know I tell stories um, over and over again, but this is just, I want to make this point, that when I was in a large organization, and I seemed to, that the boss didn't worry about who you were, it was just sort of numbers, and I was told that I would be moving into another office and I'd have another job because somebody wanted my job. So in other words, they're going to move him and move me out, and I didn't really want to go. Uh, I liked the job that I had. It was a good job, and that's probably why he wanted the job as well. I wasn't going to be demoted, but I, was, I felt it was a demotion. So I went to the Lord, and he gave me that verse. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. And when you're a Christian, and when people know you're a Christian in the workplace, we, we need to have the standard of the word. That's, that's our standard, really, and it can be tough. So I knew this guy, I knew Graham, and he wanted this position, and he'd obviously gone and spoken to the boss and said, Paul's had it long enough, now it's my turn. I don't know how that actually works when you apply for jobs. But anyway, that's what was going to happen. So I went to, and then I started praying for Graham. I thought, well, if, how do I get around this? You know, I don't want him to take my job. I don't want to lose my job. I, I, I. But anyway, I started praying for Graham, praying for the situation. You know, it was just, I was getting ready, I'd been packing up my desk and all that sort of stuff, and then just a few days before that was supposed to happen, his, Graham's wife was transferred to Hamilton as a nurse, and she was getting more pay than him, so they were gone, you know, just at that time. So there was no bad blood whatsoever, but God looked after me, and he got shifted that, that boss, that superintendent, he shifted him out as well. So I got a new boss as well. So, you know, God, you know... I just see that as honoring God and just trying to stick to what his word says. And that verse has been with me ever since. I just love it. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. So if we take that to its full consequence, every, if you look around, don't be afraid. Look around. Look behind you. Everybody in this room is more important than you. Value others above yourselves. That makes it easier. It actually makes it easier if everybody other than you is more important to you. Anyway, I want to show you a video. All right, we've got a bit of time here. I edited it, so if there's any editing hiccups in it, I had to edit this. I was wanting to show you the whole video, but I'm just going to show you a... Um, about six minutes worth, of where a small act of kindness has grown into something. And this is what we don't see. Um, Tabitha didn't see it originally. She was being kind to small people, but it grew momentum. 
You know, she was raised from the dead. And that story and, and the strength that that gives us, you know, when we lay, lay hands on the sick. Look at Cornelius and the thing, how it's grown. And when you do an act of kindness, it can grow and it can multiply because there's somebody else involved and it grows. And I want to show you this video because it impacted me a long time ago where a small act of kindness, now 30 years on or just a little bit more than 30 years on, what that difference that make. So thanks, Raoul, if you could just show that. Every morning at the crack of dawn, over 7,000 rubbish collectors leave Garbage City on horse carts or small trucks and move into the city of Cairo, where they collect over 13,000 tons of rubbish from nearly 17 million residents and return to the narrow streets of Garbage City bringing the refuse into their homes. Here the women and children sort it into piles of organic and inorganic garbage. Organic garbage is used to feed the livestock that roam the streets or live on levels just above the people's homes. There was a time when it seemed as though life would never change for these people. And no one cared. Because they were doing a filthy task, a job no one wanted. And then, nearly 30 years ago, one man did care. When I first came to Garbage City and stood at the first street, the homes were all made of tin. The people didn't have a chair to sit on. They sat on cardboard on the floor. There were no roads, no electricity or water. It was not fit for human life. The stench from the dead animals was horrible. But I was not really affected by all this. What affected me personally was the people who were in need of the grace of Christ. Everything else did not matter. The realization of the lostness of these people burned deep within Father Saman's heart. Right then, he determined to be God's instrument of change, and he would wade through pig pens such as this and literally pull people from the muck and mire and present them with God's love. When I went to invite the people to come and hear about God, they would hide in the pigsties. So I used to go in with sandals, but couldn't get my feet out of the mud. Then God told me to use boots. The second thing he told me was to take a torch because it was very dark. So I wore my trousers tucked into my boots and took my torch to find them. It was not easy for them to come. And God told me to take their hand and kiss their hand. Then kiss their head, and if they did not want to come still, I would take shoes and put it on their feet, and that would really shake them, and then they would come with me. All this I learned from the Holy Spirit, who taught me how to work in this area. Today, Suad, Father Saman's wife, daily covers this city in prayer. But there was a time when she knew the high cost of obedience and personally needed to hear the voice of God. When God first called me to serve here, 
I really needed to hear the clear voice of the Lord. I was in a first-class company in Egypt and had a high salary. And so, for six months I prayed and did not make a decision until I personally heard the voice of the Lord. As the number of believers began to grow, it became evident that the Zebulun would need a place to worship. And in 1986, when a workman dropped a rock to the ground and it fell into a natural cave, they knew that God had answered their prayers. Father Simon personally supervised the moving of centuries of rubble that lay in a cave carved out by the pharaohs, who had used Maquatum rock to build the Giza pyramids. Many rebuked him for working so passionately and mocked him with questions of whether the stones mattered more than souls. But Father Simon was simply preparing a place that would one day seat over 20,000 people. He was on a mission with God, and his every decision was taken in simple obedience. Obedience is better than sacrifice. When I make a sacrifice without obedience, it means nothing. Over the last three decades, many miracles have happened on Makwata Mountain. Tin shacks have been replaced with brick buildings. The streets have been paved. And yet, the children still play amongst the rubbish. But now they have a future. Because true transformation is taking place. Signs of this transformation include the building of schools, clinics and churches, all right in the heart of Garbage City. He is their spiritual leader and companion. But to God the Father, he is simply a man who has lived a life of obedience and whose daily prayer, more of you and less of me, has been answered. This is our time to change our world. We need to cry, to scream, to travel and groan. We need to pray day and night, and the Lord will support this work with the Holy Spirit. But we're not just talking about Jesus in words, but also with miracles which will follow our faith, and the world will see and believe and come back to Christ. you enjoy that? The challenge? Just uh, put up the next slide. Thirty years plus now since that, video, that first started there, and now it is the largest church in the Middle East. And you, you know that there's a lot of Muslim uh, countries in the Middle East. Most of them are Muslim as well. So now Rubbish City would boast about 96% of the people who live in Rubbish City are born-again Christians. Give the Lord a clap. <laughs> Come on. Give them. That touches me. Because it's 30 years down when you see that he went in there with a torch and gum boots, you know, to, to get out the people out of the, the worst place, you could say, the worst place in the city. Go to the, go to the rubbish tub tip, you know, then go into the pig pen in the rubbish tip. But God loves the people in the rubbish tip, doesn't he? 
And I just want to challenge us as well. It's nice coming to church, and it's nice to be faithful in church, but what is God impacting your life to change out there? What's he going to do with your life? You know, he said, this is our time to change the world. We need to cry, to scream, to travail and groan. We need to pray day and night, and the Lord will support the work with the Holy Spirit. Then he went on to say, but we are not just talking about Jesus in words, but also with miracles, which will follow our faith, and the world will see and believe and come back to Christ. You know, if we go back to Tabitha, her life, a miracle happened, didn't it? She was raised from the dead. And if we go to Cornelius, we see the power of the Holy Spirit coming into that family and, and then huge change. So that act of kindness, God looks down on that act of kindness and compassion and says, I can use that. I can use that. But we need to be stepping into that. I edited it out because I had to take out half the video, but a garbage collector, one of the garbage collectors there says, someone told me not just to think about myself as a garbage collector because in Jesus my value is great. So now I am an evangelist and the nations come to me. Now, stay there, stay, go back, go back, go back, go back, go back. Go back. There's a young man standing there in a blue shirt <laughs> happens to be your pastor. <laughs> but that was taken in 2010 when we had the privilege of being there and they asked me to share a message. Um, that was a, quite a surprise. So that is the, the front of the, the church there. As you can see on the top right there, there's the church looking up there and those stalls there, that's where we are sitting there as well. And that's the doorway into the rock on the right there. And we try to visit there every two years. I've met the author of one of the books and met some of the people actually on the video there as well. And he's right. The nations are coming to him. You know what I mean? You just don't know what God's going to do. So this story has changed a lot of people's lives. Now you can do the next picture. <laughs> we bring it back locally. You know, seek his face for your workplace. You know, when Tark preached that message, and I said, yes, we're doing it, Tark. You know, I've got a great testimony for you about two of our people, and he asked me to send it. So I'm just going to read what I sent to him. Uh, in the process of applying for horticultural work at a large market garden and orchard just outside Kaitaia, Sally Ann and her church friend Denise were told by another worker that the atmosphere would be tough going for two Christian ladies. Undeterred, they began work 15 months ago, working mainly in the 65,000 mandarin trees and backpackers, with backpackers and locals. Through prayer, great attitudes, love, care, and taking baking, they have seen the atmosphere change. Less anger, less yelling, less swearing, now experiencing the favor of management and supervisors like Daniel in Babylon. Four weeks ago, one of the ladies Sally Ann and Denise work with asked to come to church. And after many years away from God, she rededicated her life at the altar call. Give the hand, the Lord a clap, eh? And, and she's sitting here in church this morning. It's a start. 
It's a start. It's, it's loving and taking the love and compassion into your workplace. And that's what God is wanting us to do. If we don't see and seize these opportunities, then sadly they will pass us by and we will be none the wiser. With God's help, let's love people and find ways to show compassion. Let's love his church, his bride, and if you aren't already, let me challenge you to commit to being part of the church. And let's bring compassion to the marketplace. Amen.